Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit back. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome to another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. This is gonna be number 164 since the beginning of the pandemic, and it is for the week of August 5th in the year 2023, and we are recording it on Thursday, August 3rd. And we welcome you wherever you are, wherever you're going, wherever you've been. Glad that you've tuned in either by radio or YouTube or Spotify, Google, etc. Good things. I want to wish a happy birthday to one and only Ella Jenkins, a great folk singer. We did celebrate her 90th birthday when she was a guest on our show back in the days when we were doing it from the stage at the Heartland Cafe in Rogers Park. She's going to turn 99 on Sunday the 6th. That would be tomorrow from when you might be hearing this on WLUW. And our music producer, Lynn Orman, has been working with Ella, being her publicist for now 32 years. If you're watching this, you're going to see some pictures I took of Ella in 99 at a concert with Pete Seeger at the People's Church on Lawrence in Chicago, and a picture I took of her when we celebrated her birthday in 2014 at the Heartland. Happy birthday to you, Ella. On the union front, uh, it's not clear where this Teamsters potential strike is going. We did uh, Yellow Freight uh, declared bankruptcy, and they're blaming the Teamsters. My union SAG is still out, and so is the Writers Guild, although they're, I believe, starting to talk to each other again on that front. On the Bring Chicago Home front, you know, that's a grassroots movement of Chicagoans committed to creating a dedicated revenue stream to deal with homelessness. And we're going to have someone on that soon, but someone talking about Bring Chicago Home is going to be at the Network 49 meeting this Thursday coming up the 10th, 7 o'clock at the uh, park on Greenleaf, 1230 West Greenleaf. Okay, moving right along. Uh, I want to have a shout out to Renault Robinson, a wonderful police officer, wonderful human being. He passed away. And a little bit on him that I got from Media Burn. I'm going to read it. In July, the world lost a hero when Renault Robinson passed away a leader who fought against discrimination within the Chicago Police Department. His lasting impact is still felt in the city. There's a video of Studs Terkel interviewing him, which you can get at Media Burn. And uh, they go on to say that uh, Renault was born on the South Side in Woodlawn in 42, rest year. Robinson joined the Chicago Police Department in 64. In 1968, he co-founded with Howard Sapple, I believe, the Afro-American Patrolman's League, now known as the African-American Police League. Uh, the organization was founded to encourage more Black people to become police officers and to improve the department's treatment of Black citizens. It came at a price, though. Uh, the League's advocacy for citizens led to an increase in civil rights lawsuits against the police department for discrimination and retaliation. Robinson and other members of the African-American Patrolman's League were constantly suspended, threatened with dismissal, and given degrading assignments. Robinson has even was even sent to patrol the alley behind the police station where he worked. But he stayed on the force till 83. He spoke out often. 
Um, in 83, he went on to serve as the chairman of the Chicago Housing Authority. He passed away in July, survived by his wife, Annette, and children, Renault Jr., Brian, Kobe, and Kivu. Uh, he was a wonderful guy, and we're going to miss him, but his impact is clear. Uh, the Chicago Police Department has plenty of issues, but it certainly has improved from back in the day. Okay, last week we had Charlie Musselwhite talking about music history here in Chicago and his own history from 1962. By the time you see this, he will have played with Elvin Bishop up at Ravinia, and uh, hopefully I'll give you a report next week how that concert went. We also had Marilyn Katz talking about Israel, and you can get both of those at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash videos. Okay, I think that's it. Got a couple of good guests coming on today. I'm going to have Lincoln Bergman and Claude Marks out in California talking about the Freedom Archives and a little bit about Cuba, the 70th anniversary of the Moncada Barracks attack. And we're going to have Cousin Adam, and he's in California too. He is my cousin. He's the guy I go to for good information on sports, film, etc. We're both in the Screen Actors Guild. We've worked in some films together. And he played football at Northwestern and has been following very closely the little hazing scandal that's going on up there. So we'll be right back after a little music with our first guest. Welcome back to Live from the Heartland for the week of August 5th, uh, the year 2023. I'm Michael James, and regular listeners to this show know that we, we've we had people talking about Cuba over the years. We had the late, great Pat Gleason on. We've had Marguerite Horberg uh, uh, talking about trips to Cuba, cultural trips, and artists that she's brought. And, uh, you know, she is the... Uh, the director of uh, Hot House, and they have a new location that we'll talk more about in the future. I've been to Cuba a couple times, and actually my new book, Crossing Borders, has a lot of photos from Cuba uh, on my two trips there. But each week I get an email from uh, an old friend of mine, Lincoln Bergman, and it's from Freedom Archives. And uh, I they talked about the Mokata barracks and the 26th of July movement in Cuba. And I thought, well, that was last week. It's not too late. Let's get 
Lincoln on, and he's brought along his friend Claude Marx, and they're going to share a little bit of information about Cuba and the uh, 70th anniversary of the Moncada raid. And uh, we'll also talk about Freedom Archives, and we'll, then we'll hear a poem from Lincoln about Cuba. So, good morning to you gentlemen. How are you? Or good morning, afternoon, wherever you are, whatever time. Hey, it's morning. We're in Berkeley, California. Claude is actually the director of the Freedom Archives, and, uh, and, and several others are co-founders. And uh, uh, since uh, 1999, 2000, the Freedom Archives started first in San Francisco, and now we're in Berkeley uh, um, uh, after 22, 23 years. Claude and I have been to Cuba a fair amount. I've been three times. I think Claude has been quite a bit more. So. Glad to talk about it and to mark the 70th anniversary of the attack on the Moncada Barracks. Um, well, Cuba's a wonderful place. Uh, I mean, I've, I really loved it the times I've been. Uh, we used to bring the band Mescla here when after the Bush years or before the Bush years when we could bring the band in. And uh, I like to follow Cuba. So why don't you guys fill us in on the historic uh, date of the 70th anniversary of July 26th? what went on and what you see going on in Cuba today. Well, July 26, 1953, was an attack on the second largest fortress of the Batista tyranny. And Fulgencio Batista was a, a terrible, brutal tyrant, uh, completely under the, the, the uh, control of U.S. empire, the U.S. imperialism, but just horrendous and hated in Cuba, the Batista regime. And this was the second largest fortress of Batista tyranny. There was quite a lot of, uh, you know, a protest, student protest. Fidel Castro was a student and a law student. They organized a, a movement. They organized clandestinely to attack on July 26, 1953, this fortress in Santiago, Cuba, a very beautiful city, um, sort of like San Francisco looking out over the sea on the eastern far end of Cuba. And... Um, and it was uh, done secretly. It was the days of Carnival in Santiago, Cuba. So it, it provided a way to sort of operate under the wire. Some of them opened up a, an alleged chicken farm outside Santiago, though the guy across the street liked the, across the road liked them a lot, but didn't see any chickens. Nonetheless, they were getting ready, whatever arms they could get. And they had the attack. The, 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 um, the attack was carried out there and in another smaller fortress in Bayamo, and it failed miserably for any number of reasons. Uh, and um, uh, some of it was miscommunication. Some of it was too, moving too early. Um, uh, uh, Fidel later said that the forces were divided and so on. So many, uh, more than 100 people attacked the uh, Moncada barracks, and many, many, many were killed, either there or more killed and tortured in prison afterwards. And that is, uh, Fidel was imprisoned. There were two women, Aide Santa Maria and Melba Hernandez, that were part of it. They were imprisoned and others were imprisoned. There was torture um, and so on. This is, um, um, uh, later on, there was a, uh, some, a few years later, there was a pardon. Fidel was able to get out. They went to Mexico, uh, uh, got, took the grandma boat over to Cuba and launched the uh, revolution, which eventually succeeded. So they see Moncada, they, they talk about her as a setback that led into victory. And it was essentially the catalyst, the spark that led to the Cuban revolution. And, the, and it's now the 70th anniversary. It took place in 1953. Let me uh, just throw in here a little odd thing. When I was in Cuba, I think the first time in 91, uh, I went to the Museum of the Revolution 
and they had a night i believe it was a 1947 pontiac fastback uh that was used in the raid on mokata barracks yeah amazing yeah no it was quite a museum, I got to say. Talk about oppression. Talk about shackles and chains. They showed all the stuff. Yeah. To visit there is very moving because now, in addition to a museum in Santiago, there's a, a primary school. So the flowers of the revolution, I once said in a poem, grow now in Moncada after that terrible setback. Well, what's your sense of it? Since you guys have been traveling there, uh, mm -hmm. you know, What's your sense of where things are at? Uh, there's, I got an email from Pablo Menendez, uh, you know, who brought the band Mescla to the States over and over. He grew up in Berkeley, his mother's right. part of Spain. And he sent me an article about Cubans coming to the United States who are eligible for a lot of retirement money. And not a lot of money, but they do get a stipend every month. Um, and, you know, most of those people said they liked Cuba, but they could get got a little more money. And in their old age, they came here. What's your take on where the Cuban revolution is at, some of the challenges, some of the good things going on, and how people might uh, contact their elected representatives to get a better deal for the Cuban people and our relationship with Cuba? Well, we were, we were just there recently doing some work with the Literacy Museum. Uh, the Literacy Museum, by the way, is where, <clears throat> where the history of this massive campaign is, where once the Cuban Revolution triumphed, they mobilized literate youth to go throughout the island to within a, you know, under two years, transform the ability of people, particularly in rural areas, to read and write, thinking that uh, the, the premise is you can't really have an engaged and democratic process politically as long as people aren't able to function in a literate way. So this was the number one priority. Anyway, we were there doing some work with them. Uh, the conditions in Cuba are particularly challenging in a period like this because of the history of the embargo by the United States, which is an attempt to increase the suffering of the population with the idea that it will rebel against the government and the leadership and the direction set forth over the last years. The reality, however, while the conditions are very challenging, they're all and, and you know people are not happy about this the ability to you know to more readily feed people or engage in global trade or the shortage of gasoline to to um you know power buses and trucks to make food distribution something attainable all of these things are impacted by uh, the united states trying to derail the ability of Cuba to survive. Um, despite that, despite that, and despite the fact that some people are able to leave because of the economic conditions, not because they hate what Cuba is, um, there's a tremendous kind of level of nascent resistance that are very broadly experienced there. Um, we stayed in a very simple place 
ate what the workers ate, walked to work every day when we went, uh, to really get a sense of an immersive, an immersed experience that you know wasn't based on you know hotels and tourism. And we really felt strongly that the the level of unity and the understanding of what the source of the challenge to the Cuban population, that being the United States-led embargo, uh, that's a very universal feeling with all the complaints that, that exist. You know, there's universal free education, nobody's starving. You don't see homeless encampments like you do in the United States. You know, pe people's quality of life in terms of their health is far better and exceeds that of the United States, even though they're denied the benefits of getting ibuprofen, for example, something fairly basic. So when you go there, and we brought like a suitcase of essentially medical supplies with us when we went, because, you know, we didn't want to show up totally empty handed. And, you know, this is a consistent feature of what solidarity travel to Cuba looks like. And um, despite that, you know, as a, as a nation globally, they send medical professionals to hundreds of countries in the world and are able to respond to natural disaster in a way that's totally unprecedented, despite the fact that it, you know, the internal conditions are challenging. So it's something pretty amazing as a contribution to the global well-being, if you will, that this attempt to create a socialist society, an egalitarian and a just world, that Cuba makes that contribution, even though, you know, the United States at every conceivable turn is trying to isolate them and destroy what's been built. Am I correct that uh, Cuba, you talked about the uh, literacy campaigns, uh, that they now have the highest literacy rate in the Western Hemisphere? I'm sure that's true. Yeah, yeah. very high. Yes, it's very it's like high. Like 97%. Yeah. Higher and, than and, the United States. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going uh, down in a lot uh, of ways. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, the, the Freedom Archives has had a, a longstanding connection with Cuba in various ways. Uh, um, not long after Claude and I first met at KPFA in Berkeley, the Pacifica Station, um, we did a program together called The Real Dragon. But not after several years of that, I was invited to work at Radio Havana, Cuba, which I which I did for a year. So I learned a lot about Cuba there. And then later on, uh, the Freedom Archives has made different productions, uh, CDs and videos and so on. And we made a film, Claude uh, uh, led in making a film, COINTELPRO 101. And that appeared at the Havana Film Festival, a very famous, uh, beautiful film festival. And uh, uh, we've been there many times. So, so that's a connection that the Freedom Archives has with Cuba, and a longstanding one. And one, as Claude said, he and Nathaniel Moore, the other uh, co-director, just went to Cuba in the last uh, couple of months to help with the Literacy Museum. Uh, when you were there, I mean, has tourism started to pick up again at all? Or is it still just, uh, you know, they they were counting on tourism. It kind of forced into it, you know, and there I've been seeing shows on TV, documentaries kind of on wildlife in Cuba and there are animals and 
insects and birds that are nowhere else. So there was a, a cranking up of the tourist industry for a while. But I think that the COVID, along with the, uh, you know, the U.S.'s embargo, has really hit hit that. True or no? Well, yeah, of course, COVID impacted, and they made decisions to, you know, essentially protect their own population. They also developed their own COVID vaccines yeah. and inoculated the entire population so that, in fact, the impact of COVID in Cuba, you know, was far less than the more developed parts of the Western Hemisphere or Europe or the world, for that matter. So, you know, this is part of their kind of their prowess medically includes a huge biotech sector that successfully created vaccines that in turn were shared with other parts of the, of the world that in a lot of ways were equally, if not more effective than those developed by the United States. And I think tourism has started to pick up again in, rec in recent days. Somewhat, Somewhat yeah. but, but not, not, not to the level it was. Not right? to the level yeah. that it was when we were yeah. there last. Let, let me follow up on that. You mentioned that you guys had met while doing a show, The Real Dragon, at KPFA. Uh, KPFA, as I recall, is a public station in Berkeley. The Pacific oh. Station, yeah, public radio station, yeah. Tell us about how you guys met. Well, um, I got hired at some point in 1969 to be news director at KPFA. And there I am, and all of a sudden, it's a baptism of fire. People's Park breaks out. Um, and uh, there's a National Guard in the streets. There's demonstrations. There's uh, a man killed, others wounded. Uh, Claude was a student at UC Berkeley who had come to KPFA to be a volunteer and then became a reporter out on the streets, a great reporter, great eyes. Uh, and there, so he was out there in the streets, roaming around, telling everybody, bringing it to a live, a lot of live programming. I was inside the station, and that's how we met during that time. Um, uh, as I, as after several years at, K, at KPFA, I was news director no more. Um, Claude was became production director and was a great production director at KPFA, and we stayed close. And we started a Saturday, the KPFA news department uh, couldn't do their news on the weekend. We started a Saturday night news program, and it was called The Real Dragon. That comes from Ho Chi Minh. When the prison doors are opened, the real dragon will fly out. And it's it, we've been think, talking a lot about what we did on that show. Um, it was news. It was commentary. It was poetry. It was music. And it was sound mixed together in the most, the way we tried to sum up what had happened that week in a kind of an aesthetic way. And we did a weekly show. And those, those programs are uh, one of the beginnings of what's in the Freedom Archives. We have almost all of those programs on tape, on reel-to-reel -reel tape, as you can see the tape recording stuff behind us. Um, and... Uh, and then we then other shows followed. Nothing is more precious than independence and freedom. Um, and then um, um, freedom is a constant. Freedom is a constant struggle. The old civil rights slogan began until the mid '90s. So we have weekly shows from that time. And we also work very closely with the Third World Department at KPFA. And we have uh, great La Latino and other related programming 
uh, here in the Freedom Archives too. So that was a start, but the Freedom Archives has grown tremendously since that start. Maybe Claude could say something more about some of the other collections and and uh, uh, projects that Freedom Archives has done and is doing. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. And I just want to, you know, I don't mean to be pushing my own stuff too much, but I do want to say that if you guys are ever interested in the Live from the Heartland show, we've been doing it for 20 years. We have a lot of them on video. They're up every week at youtube.com. And, you know, we'd love to have some of them included with you guys. Just throwing that out there. I hear that. That's great. So over the years, you know, we've, uh, we've gathered programming that is largely audio, but also some video. That's a product of a number of different collective groups that come together initially in the 70s. We've also, we've also acquired uh, material from uh, people that, you know, probably aren't remembered or known, but like a Colin Edwards, who was a, a Welsh nationalist, very much about challenging the nature of the British Empire and the United States, who's, who's fortunately very dedicated to covering things like the Black Panther Party, uh, the Palestinian struggle, um, worked to make a living by producing programs for the BBC and the Canadian Broadcasting, but who lived in Berkeley. So uh, while I was a teenager, I started being one of his tech support people. And through many years and long-term relationship, after I come back, it turns out Colin has passed and the family is insistent that his body of work not be housed in a in an institution of education because of the conservative nature of what they are and are thrilled at the opportunity that we acquire his entire body of work. So that's typical um, of how we've approached acquiring additional material. And we have lots of documents now, pamphlets, uh, leaflets, and all that kind of thing that from, from that period of time. Um, are you limited to a certain period of time, or are you going to expand it and keep going on up uh, closer to the present? Our, our expertise uh, is focused starting with the 60s and probably through through the 80s. And, you know, we have all that we can do to keep <laughs> up with, you know, the influx of that kind of material. And there's a lot of people that, particularly with the web and the ability to archive things on the cloud that are really taking care of the current period. So we're sticking to what we do well and what's unique in that sense. And we've made programs from the materials we have, updated them and uh, so on. I mentioned COINTELPRO 101, the film, uh, a lot of things on political prisoners as well, on the Chicano movement. Uh, if people go to freedomarchives.org, they can see uh, 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 a lot of what we do. Um, if they see a pamphlet or something that's interested them, many of them are p downloadable PF PDFs and so on. So uh, uh, that's a good thing to go. We can check out all, all of our programs. There's been many. Some are audio, some are video, like I said. 
Is there competition for uh, archival material? I'm in um, on this group of early SDS people, Students for Democratic Society, and there are some people, particularly out of Austin or out of the South, who have been encouraging people to take their papers or uh, whatever they've got and donate them to the Briscoe uh, Archives at the University of Texas. Um, you know, I'm here in Chicago by DePaul University, which has a Young Lords organization, some Panther stuff, uh, some of the Rising Up Angry. I'm just wondering, um, you know, there's a, you know, a active movement for many years. There's a lot of people got a lot of information. Uh, are people in the archival world going after people with the stuff? Are they cooperating, sharing? Well, you know, a lot of this history gets commodified by institutions that are endowed that have money to acquire things. Yeah. We are intentionally community-based. We don't have the kind of barriers that these large institutions have for access. We work extensively with young people and encourage the repurposing of this material, which is very different than what it takes to get into a private university's archival system. So in that sense, we're trying to stay more true to the intent of the creation of these materials in the first place. And we've worked cooperatively with other radical archives, of course, around the country. But it, it, we don't- What are some of those other radical archives? Well, you know, there's the Interference Archive that's in New York, which is a progressive place. Uh, there's uh, the Southern California Library in Los Angeles. Those are just a couple of examples. Yeah. Um, all of these places are more independent. They're not institutionally tied to major universities that, you know, have, uh, they may want to acquire things and they may have the means of doing it, but later down the road, it can be far more challenging in terms of access. Uh, well, we're going to run out of time and I want to get Lincoln's poem in. So I also have want, enough time. We'll, have, we'll make it. I, I also wanted to, before I go any further, I just want to remind Lincoln that, um, well, I'm just going to tell you, it was your dad who took uh -huh. me to China Books sometime yes. after the free speech movement. I don't know if it was before or after I met you, but he took me to China Books where I got my first set of Mao books. Uh -huh. That's volumes, been, hey, that's been, no, my father was a very active, brilliant guy, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> glad, to, glad to hear that story. Okay, one more time how people go to the Freedom Archives, how they maybe can get a hold of you, and then Lincoln, read us a poem. So it's freedomarchives.org. Real simple. That's the way to do it. And the poem is The Night Before Moncada. The night before, the night before, the night before Moncada. How did you, who were there, prepare? Did not fear rise inside your stomach, spread to your head with all the strength it gains when you know tomorrow you may be dead? The night before, the night before, the night before, Moncada. Did not your eyes and mind perceive reality with the immense intensity of the kind only freed when human beings meet with historic destiny? You were there in Santiago secretly in the restaurant eating with a few other comrades, days of carnival, of masked costume festivity, days of carnival. You were there in Santiago secretly eating in the restaurant. At other tables, people sat and talked 
and laughed. The tree of liberty, life moving on in Santiago, good and evil, hate and love, the sea below, the stars above, Santiago de Cuba, life with a few who loan, many who have to borrow, life with all its joy and sorrow. The other people eating in the restaurant did not know what you would do tomorrow. How many maybe agents of Batista do you see? No, it can't be. Fears about security, a cry, a shout, trying not to nervously look all about the night before. The night before, what did you and your comrades talk about? The night before, the night before, in a cheap hotel room, the next morning coming so soon, sounds of Santiago night, thin walls, voices from the next room, thin walls could not dilute the argument between a man and a prostitute. On that night, what a heavy impression it made, the argument about how much she should be paid. Him slavery and sorrow, the other people did not know what you would do tomorrow. The night before, the night before, the night before Moncada, did you not wonder too if it was the wisest thing to do? Doubts can't be blindly stamped out, rather thought about, analyzed, and debated, contingencies anticipated. Doubts can't be blindly stamped out, rather thought about, carefully struggled out. The people of our land live in misery, degradation and corruption, terror of tyranny. Listen to their cries. The people of this land shall surely rise. The revolutionary struggle is in the world, in Cuba and in Santiago. That is true. The revolutionary struggle also takes place in you. It's not as though you haven't thought it through before. It just gets more and more. You have agreed to join freedom conspiracy because of so much that you knew before. Your love for life and people, a comrade's grip, your hatred of oppression and this dictatorship. Perhaps a patriotic song or any unsung melody runs through your brain. What can be done to prepare pain, perhaps some lines from revolutionaries of the past, the ones you love, the faces that you see, the tree of liberty, your family. It's not as though you haven't thought it through before. It just gets more and more. The future, present, and the past at last, another clear, courageous inner light born of struggle resolves to do its best in freedom fight. It just gets more and more. Real people in real liberation war, the night before, the night before, the night before, Moncada. Oh, that's really nice. And I want to thank you. When did you write that, Lincoln? I wrote it after my first visit to Cuba and uh, on an underground press trip uh, um, in 19, I think, 71. And I went to Moncada and very moving. I wrote a Cantos de Cuba, 60 pages about Cuba, but that. That one stands out, The Night Before Moncada. Well, I want to thank both of you brothers for coming on the Live from the Heartland show. Uh, I'm hoping to get to the West Coast sooner or later. And uh, if you guys are ever in Chicago, you know where you can uh, find some company. Absolutely. Stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. We'll be back with more Live from the Heartland. Thanks, Shalita. Get that 
back with more live from the heartland and uh we're going to now what's become kind of a regular uh monthly uh segment of the show i'm going to call it cousin adam and it's uh my cousin adam james who uh played football at northwestern and that's when we got to know each other he was come came all the way from hawaii and uh, he's now in la and we've worked in some films together within the andy davis film world and he's working on some other films he's a personal trainer and he knows a lot about sport and movies. So I've asked him to come on on a regular basis. And here he is. He's coming fresh from a meeting. Uh, he's all ready to go. I think we're going to talk uh, not only about the, the strike in Hollywood with Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild, but also we're going to talk a little soccer, a little baseball trades, uh, what's going on in the hazing scandal up at Northwestern. And I think we're going to get to... Uh, a little bit of uh what was that other thing we were going to do oh personal personal athletics uh which is something that everybody should be engaging in all the time so hello to you adam out there in los angeles area how are you today i'm fantastic great to see you michael hello everybody hey how's the weather out there is it real hot it's been hot <laughs> <laughs> yes we were lucky here. So, you know, it hasn't gone much in over 85 here along the lake. Um, it's quite cool today. Very nice. That's I always said day. this is the center of the universe, and this yeah. is where people should come and live, including Summer. people that are being shipped up here when they cross the border. <laughs> okay. So what do you got for us today, Cuz? Well, um, first of all, we were going to talk a little bit about the strike. and. Yeah. Of course, um, the Heartland audience are very union-oriented uh, and, and pro-union, and we greatly appreciate that. Um, I, there was a, a rally held in New York City last weekend for um, the SAG-AFTRA strike, but also the writers. And what was impressive to me was how many fellow union uh, people came out in support, uh, not just members of these two unions, but also unions in general, uh, standing together. Uh, it was a Times Square rally. Uh, many celebrities came out to speak who are members of the SAG-AFTRA, but also, again, uh, like leaders of major unions in New York City were there. They spoke. They talked about how New York is a union town. Um, we need to stick together, all industries, all workers, all people, in order to make sure that everybody has a fair compensation, um, fair wages. So it was a really great rally. Uh, one thing that's going on with the strike that's kind of unique and interesting is that the union, SAG-AFTRA, is striking against um, the studios, basically. But there's also other filmmakers out there, independent filmmakers. And there have been um, exemptions made by SAG-AFTRA, the union, to allow some of these productions to go forward. So this has created a little bit of a controversy. There are some members of SAG-AFTRA, the union, who are not happy that some people are going to work. Um, they feel like this, you know, we all need to stand together. We all need to stop everything. 
And there are others that say, no, no, we have to recognize where the real focus is in regards to where the damages are occurring and where the opportunity for compensation, fair wages occurs. Uh, independent films really aren't that. It's the studios and how they operate that is the concern. So there's definitely a little controversy there. There are some people who are uh, actively out there doing some things, but there's others that are choosing to step away from those uh, authorized projects. Uh, so for example, um, I believe it was uh, Viola Davis who has a project that was greenlit to continue, uh, but she has stepped down. Uh, Brad Pitt also had a project uh, that was gonna be filming in Europe independent of the studios. Um, he also has said, I wanna not work right now. I wanna stand with my fellow union members, yes. You know, uh, there is a, we're, this is broadcast, although you can get it a little earlier on Friday, you can get it on youtube.com Friday morning, I believe. It's Saturday morning is broadcast, but Friday afternoon, which is tomorrow from when we're broadcasting, uh, there is a SAG after rally downtown here in Chicago, along with SEIU. Uh, so there is a lot of support. And I haven't made it to one of those yet, and I have probably won't uh, have made it to the one that's on Friday, but uh, I'm going to try to rework my schedule so I can. So let's keep going on what you got, Adam. Well, brilliant. And again, I, I feel like right now is a critical time for this industry. This is a major uh, transitionary point on, on how we're going to continue to make product, how that product is delivered, and how the workers are compensated. So um, for those of you who are out there who are wondering how I can help, how I can support, um, yes, I, it would be amazing for people to come out to the rally in Chicago and the other rallies that are occurring. You can go to the SAG After website, uh, find out where rallies are occurring. Same thing with the Writers Guild. Um, lend your support, lend your voice and um, look for opportunities to uh, to support this. Thank you so much. We really appreciate everybody. Right on, brother. Well, how about let's, you want to go to sports? Absolutely. <laughs> talk a little sports. Fantastic. <laughs> Love sports. A lot of action going on right now. Obviously, the summertime is a unique time every year. Some, some people love the summer sports scene. Um, oftentimes, there's different and fun events, things like the Olympics and the World Cups. Right now, we've got the Women's World Cup going on. And uh, it's really been a terrific championship uh, tournament this year. Uh, there's some great stories occurring. One of those is the story about the uh, national team from the Philippines, which is made up by a large portion of American citizens of Philippine ancestry who are able to play for the national team for the Philippines. Um, and it's a really fascinating story about how a number of um, you know, uh, Filipino uh, soccer fans, uh, enthusiasts, had rallied this program. They got uh, people here in the United States who were of Philippine um, uh, citizenship and ancestry able to uh, try out for the team, made the national team, um, and then have really excelled. And it's just terrific to see how well they've done. So congratulations to that program and to the nation of the Philippines. And then of course, uh, our United States women's team as a favorite to win the whole thing, haven't played uh, to their excellent reputation as of yet but are absolutely in it. And, you know, in my opinion, still the favorites, uh, go USA. <laughs> um, but yes, there's some other, you know, strong teams out there. And that's actually makes it a better tournament, makes it a better sport to watch. And so it's really good for the sport of, of women's soccer. Yeah, some big teams are out. Um, I mean, Germany's out. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget who else, but uh, yeah, it's good. It's, uh, and Haiti's out too. They were, people were watching them for a little bit. Or, and I think Jamaica's in. And South Africa's in. 
Well, it's good. You know, I don't I don't grasp how soccer works very much. They just brought soccer in while I was playing football in high school. And uh, it's the first time I was ever aware of it. Uh, I used to take my kids to soccer practice and games when they were little. But I do like watching it. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching it more and more. And uh, although you really got to get up in the middle of the night to watch the U.S. play. Um, but I did wake up in the middle of the night to check the, their last game score. Well, okay. I mean, like, you, like you, I did not grow up playing the sport, but I have such a passion for uh, the enthusiasm and the excitement that this sport generates. Um, many years ago, of course, the great Pele came to America and played for the Cosmos and the National um, North American Soccer League. Um, but right now, there's a new superstar, uh, Messi, who has come to the United States. It's kind of a similar story in that this superstar player, who is unquestionably the best in the world, has chosen to come and play for you a team based in the United States, in this case, Miami. And, in last place. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, it's just part of building the sport, growing the sport, building that excitement. And he had a tremendous first appearance in that first game, second game as well. Um, you know, that team will do well this year, might not win the whole thing, but it just adds a lot of value, excitement, and energy to the sport. And he's younger at his, while he's here, than Pele was. Yes. Um, yeah, he's pretty impressive. I've been watching the news clips. I haven't watched any of the uh, the, the games with him, but there's plenty of uh, pictures of him kicking a goal. <laughs> <laughs> he does that quite a bit. <laughs> uh, let me see. How about baseball? You know, uh, you're out there in California. I don't know. I think you used to root for the Yankees. And I am going to go to a Yankee-White uh, Sox game on Monday night. One of my favorite players, Lucas Giolito. And, uh, uh, you know, a couple of other players from the White Sox have all been traded away. And uh, that's been going on around the league. You Are you following this and you want to give anybody a little bit of information? Sure, absolutely. Well, for, for those of you who aren't huge baseball fans, this is the time of year when the trade deadline occurs. So it literally happened two days ago. Tuesday was the trade deadline. What happens in the sport of baseball is that teams that are in contention to possibly make the playoffs, possibly win a championship, they tend to want to trade for a, a player who's going to help them now, and they're willing to give up some future star players who aren't necessarily at their best, but could be. And so um, this is that transitioning time. And there were some amazing stories. Yes, the Sox decided to kind of unload everybody. Yes. <laughs> all the pitchers. <laughs> and then teams in Texas, for example, the Rangers and the Astros, they went all in. They said, this is our time. We want to win now. So um, it, it is a time that tough decisions are made and that's where championships are won in a lot of ways is these type of, of decisions. So um, it is exciting for those who really love the sport and watch it. And, um, but it also can be disappointing for people who are big fans of a team. And then they see their team, like maybe the New York Mets who've decided this ain't the year, but keep coming to the games if you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of discounts. I know uh, down, they traded the White Sox traded burger to somewhere, a team down in Florida and, uh, they, and I don't know how their attendance is, but they lowered the price of hamburgers to $5 in his honor. Uh, yeah, so. it makes me, in my case, with a couple of my favorite Sox pitchers, um, Lopez and Giolito going to the Angels, it makes me kind of like the Angels a little bit. I never was a great fan of them, but I did like Gene Autry, who was a famous cowboy back in the day and a country singer, and he was a Democrat. Um, so 
you know, I'm watching them now. I'm kind of rooting for the Angels over there in that division. <laughs> Any more baseball? Or we had enough baseball today. Well, I thought we'd maybe take a moment to talk about each individual out there, all of us, um, and how valuable it is. Yes, we love to watch sports and talk sports, but even more, it's great to get out there and do sports, to do physical activity, athletics. So um, kind of on a wellness note, I wanted to take a moment to kind of encourage everybody out there, if you aren't currently involved in some type of physical activity, whether it's a sport or a workout program, to get started. And maybe we can cover a few tips on that today. Michael, what do you think? I think that'll be great. And then we'll, when we're done with all that, we'll go back to Northwestern football. Perfect. That sounds great. <laughs> well, I, what I want to just start with is just how important it is to start here. It's your attitude. It's your um, state of mind in regards to your approach to health and fitness. If you believe it's something that's important and valuable and, you're, and you have an enthusiasm for it, you're going to do it and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to get a lot out of it. Um, so it really starts with that. I encourage people to have kind of a general attitude about exercise. It's kind of like brushing your teeth and taking a bath you kind of need to do it on a regular basis. And if you do it on a regular basis, you're going to see really positive results. So that's to start. But it's so important to find something that you love, something that you enjoy, something that you gather with others, if that's what you like to do. And there's some other values that come from it, because if that's the case, you're going to do it more. So perhaps there's people out there that might like to start a, a softball game or a volleyball, uh, whatever that sport might be that gets you out there. Pickleball is extremely popular. Have you been trying pickleball? I pulled my hamstring the one time I tried it, but uh, I'm, I'm open to trying it some more. <laughs> well, good. Well, you know, and that's actually segues into something that's also really important, especially for those of us as we get a little bit older, which we all do if we're lucky. Um, <laughs> it's important to make sure that you're being cognizant of all your health aspects as you start an exercise program. If you have some severe challenges, uh, see your doctor, get some advice before you get started. I also highly recommend, you mentioned earlier that I'm a personal trainer. Um, I have incredible respect and appreciate those that dedicate themselves to the health and fitness world. So if you are starting this process, this journey, I encourage you to talk to somebody who is in this field. Talk to a personal trainer, a group exercise instructor. Ask for some advice, some suggestions, some tips, and that's going to help a lot. Yeah, you know, I think everybody is kind of born an athlete, you know, full of energy and jumping around and playing and all that. And along the way, that gets taken out of us, uh, for out of some of us. And uh, but there is a lot of good things that go on in sports. I mean, learning how to work together, uh, learning how to be aware of your own yourself and your own improving your own situation. Yes. And um, it's good for the planet too, you know. And it's good for the body. Keep breathing in that oxygen. And um, what's what? your personal workout these days, Adam? I mean, you were. A, on end when you were playing football at Northwestern, you went about 260 pounds, you're about 6'6". Six, six. And then a couple of years later, after you were done with playing football, you were like real skinny as a rail. You were down to about 210, maybe 220. Uh, what do you, how, how much you weigh these days? And what, what is your personal regimen? I know you've trained some people, but what do you do for yourself? Well, um, weight wise, I'm about 240, 245. Oh, you got back up there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh exercise wise i am i am a martial artist so i practice martial arts daily um i do a variety of different martial arts and of course i have my own organization rainbow warrior martial arts um so i'm a i'm somebody who believes very strongly in that activity um, a lot of passion for that in fact this weekend 
when this show is uh, airing, I'll be at Dragon Fest. I talked about that on a recent show. Uh, Dragon Fest is an annual fundraiser expo trade show for the martial arts industry here held in Southern California. It's to benefit the Martial Arts History Museum, which is located in Burbank. And it's a lot of fun. It's also a celebration of martial art movies, action movies. So there's a lot of uh, action celebrities there, a lot of martial arts celebrities, a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're in Southern California, or if you want to take a drive out here or flight, uh, Dragon Fest is a lot of fun. Check us out. Um, but again, people can get out there and do anything, whether it's martial arts, tennis, golf, um, you know, just get out there and walking, running, swimming. Uh, yeah. And the bike, pogo stick. The, <laughs> the Rainbow Warrior Martial Arts of yours, is there a website to that? or Absolutely. It's really easy. It's rainbowwarriormartialarts.com. And oh, we got to post that, and I'm going to go look. I've never looked at it. Okay, well, the you know, the way we started getting you back in uh, a few, well, it's been a last time and this time, too, was we have this situation with um, our beloved football team up here in Evanston, which is about five miles away from where I am sitting right now. Uh, and I was up there this morning when I went to the Y to do my swim. Um, we have a scandal that keeps, it's in the news still here. There was a quarterback, a former quarterback, who yesterday is suing Northwestern football program or the university. What do you got? I know I've been pumping you on this for a few times now, um, but it's still ongoing. What do you know? Well, um, as we talked about it, obviously there was a, um, a hazing that had been going on at Northwestern that had come to light and had cost the um, football coach and the uh, entire program major pain. Uh, football coach has been let go. He's been terminated. Uh, he's suing the university back in an effort to you know, claim wrongful termination. And uh, it's really unfortunate. Um, something that you and I discussed when you first brought me on on this is that hazing is nothing new. It's been going on in sports and in society. Um, anytime people have gathered, there's been, and this is basically organizable, and oftentimes organized bullying in a way that is authorized or approved or allowed or condoned by those um, truly in power, so to speak, to control this kind of thing. Um, there's levels of that pretty much everywhere. It was funny because I was talking to a, a fellow um, ex football player who played at another major university, a good friend of mine. And, I, and he was asking me about this hazing scandal. And I said, well, what's going on? You know, we had hazing when I was there. And he said, oh, well, we didn't have hazing. We, we did it on the field. And I'm thinking, well, that's still hazing, whether you're on the field or in the locker room. If you're knocking a guy down for the intention of proving how tough you are and how weak he is or she, um, it's just, it's not appropriate. You want to be a teammate. You want to be out there and help them, get them better. Um, and so it was just something that there's no doubt about it. Uh, these kind of things have occurred. It's the level at which the organization level, which was occurring at Northwestern, which is shocking. But it's great that this has come to light, and it's important. And it's important to get it straight and get it right. Um, what I would encourage everybody out there who's listening to this to do is um, to support Northwestern's athletic programs at this point. Um, there have been issues. Those have been, have been or are being addressed. But in the meantime, the university itself and the athletes, student athletes that are out there performing would love to get your support. This is not the time to turn your back on the Wildcats. This is a time to support us. Um, so I would encourage anybody out there who is thinking about how they can help, uh, help by giving you know a cheer. Come on out to a game, a baseball game, a women's softball, uh, a volleyball game. Come out to the football team. Watch us play. Uh, it's, it's a great thing. 
Uh, are you in touch with many other former players that you played with? I know you are with Mike Williams, but I'm just wondering if uh, if you this might be a reason for a lot of you to get in touch with each other. And uh, a teammate of mine uh, is the president of the Northwestern University um, um, African American Alumni Association, and uh, he put out a statement just the other day, and and uh, it's it is something that I really want to do and strive to do is maintain that connection because it's a great university. It's something that I, I encourage everybody out there to do is, you know, maintain those positive relationships with those institutions and those people that have come from your, in your past who've benefited you. Um, I encourage people to reach back out to their alumni, their uh, alma mater, to their friends and family members who maybe they haven't talked to in a long time, because that's an important thing to do in our life. Well, I got to say, I've been rooting for Northwestern since you went to play there, even almost as much as I root for Lake Forest where I played. Uh, a little different level, but um, Adam James, cousin, um, it's great to have you on the show. Get ready for another month from today, and we'll have you back, and I'll talk to you before that. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Right on. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in live from the heartland for the week of August 5th. I want to thank our guests for today, Adam James, Lincoln Bergman, Claude Marks. I want to thank our engineer, Hal James, and I want to thank our kind of advisors, sometimes hosts, Katie Hoken and Tom Clark, and our music producer, Lynn Orman. Next week's show, August 12th, we'll see what we got. Uh, anyone's interested in coming on the show, feel free to contact me at fatback at aol.com. We're always looking for more guests because we put two or three on every week and they're 52 weeks in a year. So remember to do good in the world. The world needs all that you do, that I do, that we do together. All power to the people. Have a great week. See you soon. Are you doing the best you can? Over the mountain, under the big blue sky, you got a dream awaiting. I can see it in your eye. It may not come easy, but you know you've got a friend. I'll be by your side the entire ride. Just let me hear you say amen. Are you doing, doing? Are you doing the best you can? Mm -hmm. Tell me, are you doing, doing? Are you doing the best you can? Are you doing?